This episode of Recommended is sponsored by The Familiars by Stacey Halls, published by Mira Books. The Essex Serpent meets the miniaturist in this rich and compelling historical novel set against the frenzy of the real 1612 witch trials of Pendle Hill. Young Fleetwood Shuttleworth, noblewoman of one of the finest houses in Lancashire, is pregnant for the fourth time, having been unable to carry a baby to term so far. When Fleetwood finds a hidden letter from the doctor who delivered her last stillbirth, she learns of the prediction that she will not survive another pregnancy. By chance, she meets a midwife who promises to help Fleetwood deliver a healthy baby and prove the physician wrong. As the midwife Alice is drawn into the witchcraft accusations sweeping the area, Fleetwood must risk everything to help her clear her name. Historians have asked, was witch hunting woman hunting? And The Familiars explores the themes of women's rights in this period, many of which still resonate today. Timely topics make this a great read for book clubs with lots to discuss about history and women's rights, how they have and have not changed from then until now. Thanks again to The Familiars by Stacey Hall, published by Mira Books, for sponsoring the show. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books, and this is the first episode of Season 4. Today, authors Preeti Chibber and Sarah Gailey tell us about discovering new favorite novels while judging books by their covers. Preeti Chibber has written for Sci-Fi, Book Riot, Book Riot Comics, Nerds of Color, Tor.com, and The Mary Sue, among others. You can also find her co-hosting the podcasts Daisy Geek Girls and Strong Female Characters. Her short story, Girls Who Twirl and Other Dangers, was published in the anthology A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, and she has a forthcoming Spider-Man novel with Marvel Press. My name is Preeti Chibber, and Lilith's Brood by Octavia Butler is my recommended. Lilith's Brood is three books, and it is about an alien race that comes in to rescue the human race after a catastrophic event on Earth. But what that means for humanity and survival might not be everyone's cup of tea. Funnily enough, no one recommended them to me. I was browsing at Barnes & Noble, I think, when I was like 16, 15, 16 years old in the sci-fi section, the like paltry, tiny sci-fi section. And something about the cover of Dawn spoke to me. I don't know what it was. It was like this maroon cover with an image of the main character Lilith in this kind of interesting paint style and I just picked it up and fell in love. I still have my original copies of all three books and I read them all the time. When I was 14 a friend gave me a copy of the first book from Wheel of Time (laughs) and then I read all the Wheel of Time books and was obsessed with the notion of epic American fantasy or just epic fantasy in general, really. And so I was wandering the sci-fi fantasy aisle, and that's how I found her. It actually wasn't so much the fantasy or the the sci-fi of it. It was more that I liked fantasy, and they just happened to be grouped together in this bookstore. Thanks, Robert Jordan. (laughs) I pitch it as a really wonderful look at strong female characters and – what it means to be human, but filled with action and angst and drama because it's sci-fi, but it's at its heart, it is about figuring out what humanity means and what you're willing to sacrifice to survive. I think people really enjoy survival stories and stories of figuring out what you need to do in order to continue living. And finding your place in a new world, because that's that's really what ends up happening is cr- the creation of a new world. But despite humanity's insistence of 
maybe making decisions that aren't in their best interest. It's written by a Black woman, and it's written by someone who probably had to deal with a lot of this in her own life in terms of being subjected to ideas of what her gender and her race said about her and what society said that she was and having to break out of that mold, really. Because, you know, sci-fi as a genre isn't the most welcoming of spaces always. And so I think there was a little bit of that, like Lilith is such a great character because she's not only strong, you get to see her anger and her frustration in addition to all the positive attributes that people, to, you know, quote unquote positive in terms of her, like she's very loving and and she's very thoughtful and all of these other things. But she is also, her anger fuels her too and her deep sadness of the losses she's faced and her need to be stronger than she sometimes thinks she's capable of being. And so you get to see all the pieces of her, and I imagine Octavia Butler probably had to use a lot of those same facets of her own self to survive and excel in an industry that didn't always see her or see people who looked like her. This was one of the first sci-fi books I read, and I was lucky enough that this sci-fi book represented not just straight white men. It represented black people and Asian people and gay people and all these different versions of people who exist. And so I strive to do that in my own writing to make sure that I'm not showing a one-note world. Imago is my favorite one. It's short and it's it's super easy to get through and, and a quick read. It's so comforting. It's it's like a comfort read. It's like one of those reads where you're like, I'm in a bad mood and I'm sad about the world, so I'm going to read this. It's truly coming of age. Like, I'm a huge YA fan, and so I love coming of age stories, and that's what Imago is, is Jodas trying to figure out who they are and what it means to be both, to be the first of their kind and what it means to be both human and Owen Kali. I think with Jodas in particular, they go through such a journey and that journey is sort of like what they're supposed to be and not fitting into the role of what they're supposed to be and then finding their role. And there's comfort in that finally coming into who you're supposed to be and, and getting to have that moment of, no, this is my role. And I'm so kind of sated that this is where I belong and, and, and to have found the place where I belong. Sort of weirdly enough, I think A Wrinkle in Time does it. <laughs> there's something in the way that both... Meg and Lilith are written, and then both Charles Murray and Jodas are written that I can identify those same pieces with uh, in terms of like using your anger, using your love, using all those pieces of you. And with Charles Murray and Jodas, like figuring out who you are and who you're supposed to be. I think the Wrinkle in Time quartet, barring many waters, which is not my favorite, kind of does that for me. Thanks again to Preeti Chibber for joining us and recommending the Lilith's Brood series by Octavia Butler. The anthology, A Thousand Beginnings and Endings, published by Green Willow Books, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at RunWithSkizzers. That's R-U-N with S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Today's Recommended is also sponsored by 99% Mine by Sally Thorne, published by William Morrow. From the author of The Hating Game comes a new romantic comedy about two twins struggling over an inheritance and the sexy best friend who gets in the middle. Darcy Barrett met her dream man when she was eight years old, and the rest of the male population has been a letdown ever since. 
No one measures up to Tom Valeska, whose only flaw is that her twin brother, Jamie, saw him first and claimed him forever as his best friend. Tom is off-limits and loyal to Jamie 99%, and for Darcy, 1% of him used to be enough. But this time around, she's switching things up. 99% Mine is laugh-out-loud hometown romance. It's got a strong, independent female protagonist who's trying to fight her feelings for her brother's best friend, and a lovable boy-next-door type who is trying to remain loyal by not falling in love with his best friend's sister. 99% Mine is Sally Thorne's second novel after the widely successful The Hating Game and features two epilogues, one for 99% Mine and a never-before-seen epilogue for The Hating Game. Thanks again to 99% Mine by Sally Thorne, published by William Morrow, for sponsoring today's episode. Hugo Award winner Sarah Gailey is an internationally published writer of fiction and nonfiction. Their nonfiction has been published by Mashable and the Boston Globe, and they are a regular contributor for Tor.com and Barnes & Noble. Their most recent fiction credits include Fireside Fiction, Tor.com, and Uncanny Magazine. Their debut novella, River of Teeth, was published in 2017 via Tor.com and was a 2018 Hugo and Nebula Award finalist. Their new novel, Magic for Liars, is forthcoming from Tor Books in June of 2019. Hi, my name is Sarah Gailey, and The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern is my recommended. The Night Circus is a gorgeous book that is about a contest between two magicians, and the terms of the contest are never explained to the reader, but the form of the competition is uh, each of the magicians trains a student, and the students have to effectively, you know, battle against each other but the rules of the fight the format of the fight the location of the fight and the identity of the opponent are never given to either of those students so they've just gotta try and do the thing it is a lovely book the prose is rich there's a romance that is deeply satisfying and also emotionally real it explores family dynamics in a way that few books I've read have really dug into. I first picked up The Night Circus. I was in a bookstore, honestly, just looking for covers. Every now and then I do that. I'll go into a bookstore and just go around and find the most interesting covers and be like, all right, I'm going to read this and I hope it's good. And often it is because the kind of covers that I'm drawn to really communicate a lot about the tone and content of the book. I remember at the same time that I picked up The Night Circus, I also picked up The Enchanted by Rene Denfeld, which also has this gorgeous cover. And that's how I grabbed The Night Circus. The cover is beautiful and whimsical and somber. And I was like, yep, this one. And I found one of my favorite books. I reread it every year. I also have listened to the audiobook several times, which is read by the great Jim Dale, who could read me a recipe for potato salad and I'd probably love it. I listened to that audiobook while recovering from a heart surgery, actually. Um, when you have a certain, the kind of heart surgery that I had, you have to lie flat on your back for eight hours after the surgery for medicine reasons. I don't know. And I, you know, was like in pain and drugged up and falling in and out of sleep. And I put my headphones on and I had downloaded the night circus and was listening to it that entire time. It got me through that recovery process just with the 
the warmth of Jim Dale's voice combined with the lush prose. Whenever I reread The Night Circus, I am rereading it from the perspective of who I am that year. I do the same thing with The Godfather, which, you know, my perspective on that changes every year. I've been rereading it for, oh gosh, going on 15 years now. And every time I reread, you know, I'm coming from a different place. So I had a really hard year this last year. And when I reread The Night Circus, I was actually reading it as fuel because I was in such a tough place emotionally that I couldn't write and I had a deadline that I had to meet. And I was like, I need something that's going to put words into my brain that other words can crystallize around and then I can like harvest them. (laughs) And other times I've reread it just when I couldn't think of anything else that sounded good. This year, I am doing a very slow reread because I am reading it aloud to my partner who has never read it before. And we're doing a chapter at a time, like once every couple weeks. So I'm getting to really spread it out, which is nice. My current favorite character in terms of how characters written is Chandresh, who is the owner and like producer of the Night Circus. He's eccentric and gay and very like a Victorian jewel box of a character and he's brilliant and he also loses his mind over the course of the book because of the magic that is being worked around him. In many ways The Night Circus is a book about uh, the consequences of gaslighting because all of these people who don't know that magic exists are involved in this circus and they it's a beautiful thing that they're doing and they're all performers. So they want to make the most beautiful, amazing thing that they can and they succeed and they know that something isn't right. They know that something isn't lining up in terms of like the seam of reality, but they're not really allowed to say anything about it and their memories change and they don't age and they don't know why. And Chandresh in particular is subject to all of this magic and to, to really kind of being a victim of this competition he becomes an alcoholic and he kind of goes crazy and the way he's written is just heartbreaking and incredible. And I see more of it every time I read the book in terms of the character who I personally like most, like, like as a human being who I want to be Tante Padva, who is kind of the auntie of the entire circus who used to be a ballerina and who is a clothing designer and who is that scandalous older woman who likes to make proper young ladies blush because she can say things that they're not supposed to. I have always been crazy about her and that's just not going to (laughs) change. When I am trying to get someone to read The Night Circus because I'm like a huge evangelist for this book, my other annual reread The Godfather, I often tell people like, "Uh, you don't need to read that book (laughs) because it's a huge problem in a lot of ways. And then Night Circus, I'm like, oh, this is my unproblematic fave. This book is, it's comforting and it's kind to the reader, which a lot of really good, brilliant books are not kind to the reader. My books are not often kind to the reader. The Night Circus is kind to the reader and kind of lets you see everything that's happening as you're reading it. It's not a book that is trying to trick you as a reader. It's not a book that's trying to hurt you. It is drawing you in. And a lot of the prose um, 
is about drawing the reader in and saying, here, come be part of this world and feel the way that perfect, beautiful circus should make you feel, which is a sense of wonder and time out of time and rest, but also curiosity. It's a lovely feeling that's really hard to get. And this book will just hand it to you. I would love for The Night Circus to have informed my writing because it's, I mean, it's beautifully written. When I was writing the book I have coming out this year, Magic for Liars, I wanted a tone that would draw the reader in the same way. And I remember I reread The Night Circus twice in a row before I started writing that book because I was going, okay, how do I do this? How do I, how do I make the reader feel everything that the main characters are feeling? It's a huge goal of mine is to write a book that engages with, with as much empathy and pushes the reader to engage with as much empathy as The Night Circus does. The Night Circus is not like other books that I read. Nowadays, I read a lot for work. I'm reading a lot of books that publishers send me or that my agent gives me as homework. Most of the things that I read are either feeding my brain or soothing my brain. It's kind of how I think of it. So I've got the books that I read, like H is for Hawk, which I read uh, for homework for a project that I'm working on now, which is not an easy book or a kind book. It's a wonderful, amazing book, but it's very challenging. And so reading it, it's like working out. And then I've got books that I read to soothe my brain, which is a lot of YA romance, kind of books that are still have a lot of emotional highs and lows, but where I can anticipate a happy ending, where I know that what I'm looking for out of that book is a character that is relaxing to spend time with. <laughs> and The Night Circus is neither of those. I don't find it to be a restful book, but I also don't find it to be challenging in the same way that a lot of challenging books are. It reminds me a lot of Patrick Ness's work in that way, where it's a book that you can read and spend time with indefinitely, kind of like that friend who you can just hang out with and sit quietly and read together. And it just is a thing that exists alongside you, like a, like a really good cat. Thanks again to Sarah Gailey for joining us and recommending The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. The River of Teeth duology, American Hippo, published by Tor.com, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow them on social media at Galeyfrey. That's G-A-I-L-E-Y-F-R-E-Y. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback, and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended, and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com. 